And uh, we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 14 starting off, but uh, just a little bit of review um, here. We're talking about Rehoboam. He's a new king, but an old sin. And uh, here in 1 Kings chapter 14, <clears throat> we'll look at it. Let's uh, go back to chapter 12. And we'll read just a few verses there for context uh, and then uh, uh, proceed forward to chapter 14. But as we uh, deal with this here, Rehoboam was a man... Uh, he was a doer, but he was not a, a philosopher. Jeroboam was, excuse me. Jeroboam was a doer. He wasn't a philosopher. And uh, he was a man who first caught Solomon's attention because he was busy, efficient, dependable, and productive. And uh, Jeroboam was a man that, uh, he was a popular leader. He ended up stealing the hearts of many of the Israelites. He had to run for his lives because Solomon got jealous of him. And uh, God used him to help chastise Solomon and bring some challenges in Solomon's life. Uh, because if you remember, Solomon went into tremendous idolatry. I mean, 700 wives, is, he went into, I mean, just gross, gross paganism. Uh, and the sacrifice, even some of those, uh, Molech and Chemosh and the sacrifice of children. And Solomon, Jeroboam, excuse me, made some serious, three serious mistakes during his 22-year reign. And here in uh, 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 25, Rehoboam also made many errors, but we're going to talk about some of Jeroboam today. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 25, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim, and dwelt therein, and went out from thence, and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord of Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam king of Judah, and they shall kill me, and go again to Rehoboam king of Judah." Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. We remember that again. That happened in Exodus with Aaron. He said, These are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. While Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, uh, he redirected the people's attention to the, the golden calf which he uh, melted and, and built. And now Jeroboam's re, uh, accomplishing the same thing, the same statements. And he set the one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan, and this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. And he made a house of high places, and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. So he's not even meeting the prerequisites that God established to make someone a, a minister, a priest. Verse 32, And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar, so did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel. And he, this is Jeroboam, offered upon the altar and burnt incense. So, I mean, there's just transgression after transgression after transgression, and, and he doesn't want his people uh, to go back to Jerusalem. He doesn't want them to take their attention and lose his power. So, number one, Jeroboam did not believe God's promises. A little bit of review, which we had uh, dealt with last week. So, success in life depends on doing God's will, trusting God's promises. But Jeroboam failed. Number one, he had a fear. Verses 25 through 28, we read about this. He feared that the heart of the people would go back to Jerusalem. Uh, Israel would be fully united, all 12 tribes together, and he would lose power. So in order to keep power, he invents a, a new religion, idolatry. And he you know, amalgamates and brings all in whatever is comfortable to him. Number two, security. He moved the capital from Shechem to Terza. 
and places a second palace there. So he doesn't trust the Lord to be his shield and defender. No, he trusts his own defenses and his own strategies. Number three, he makes substitutes. So the easiest solution to his problem of loyalty is to change it from Jerusalem in the temple, where God's uh, name was and where God's presence was, to put it, to try to, uh, under the auspices, well, we, want it, we can worship God here. And, and, then, and then these are the gods that got you out of Egypt. I mean, so again, they're replacing God as the deliverer with something else, someone else being the deliverer. And, and really, that is the idolatry, right? And uh, we spoke about that last Sunday morning, about idolatry and the fact that uh, idolatry is to, uh, you know, we can take, when tragedies happen in our life, where do we turn when tragedies occur? Where do we turn when trauma and anguish and pain comes into our lives? Where we turn is an indicator of the direction of our heart. And so Jeroboam understands that the, the nation right now is fractured and I want to keep the fracture because I want to keep power. So I've got to keep the people's attention away from Jerusalem, away from the, the, the truth, <clears throat> excuse me, my voice changing, and keep it away from the truth, because if they go back to the truth, then they're, they'll hear you know, that they need to repent. If they hear that they need to repent, hey, uh, <laughs> so can you cut that out? Sorry. <laughs> uh, Anyways, so Jeroboam doesn't tell the people to forget Jehovah, but to worship back in where the comfort of their land is. So a religion needs ministers. So Jeroboam appoints all kinds of people to serve as priests. He did not keep the standards of what was necessary. I mean, he, he didn't have the Levites. He does his own. And the law of Moses, it required the Jews to celebrate seven divinely appointed feasts. Well, he says, well, okay, we'll do the feast, uh, you know, simultaneously. But we'll do it here. We won't go back to Jerusalem. And so again, he, what does he do? He makes religion comfortable. And this gets us to the one point of apostasy, which is a manufactured religion. We are actually, Brother Bucher and I were talking about this uh, during COVID. A lot of people have become comfortable with this idea of, of live stream that they don't need to congregate with a group of uh, believers. And so they manufacture religion. It's popular, it's approved, and it's accepted. They're the blind leading the blind. They're, you know, they're ordaining their own men, totally out of God's will. I mean, what was it in regards to Saul? Saul was removed. I mean, his heart was going there. But with the Amalekites, he was supposed to kill all of them, kill King Agag. And he then, he did a sacrifice unto God. And God says, I don't want it. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And Saul, God told Samuel, it says, tell Saul that I'm taking the throne away from him. He put himself in the place of a priest, and God said, enough is enough, Saul, you're done. None of your, none of your descendants will take over the throne, you're done. And he wept and cried and said, I'll get right, and I'll do what's, you know, and he ended up killing them, but uh, the Amalekites and doing what he was supposed to, but it was only after it was too late. So this is this pluralistic society that we live in, that there is no true revelation, there is no truth, and so we can just kind of blend Christianity, take and pick and choose what we want, uh, and then that'll be church. But the Bible tells us we can't do that. There's self-appointed prophets and ministers. There's a lot today in regards to women trying to be prophets or pastors or bishops or whatever they call them, completely unbiblical. 
And there's men that are in the ministry that shouldn't be in the ministry because they're disqualified based upon Scripture. And they're not interested in, in what Scripture has to say. They speak with feigned words, as 2 Peter 2, 3, or plastic words. <coughs> Excuse me. And a lot of gullible people will fall to their lies. Look with me at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1, But there were false prophets also among the people, uh, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow uh, their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words, remember feigned is like plastic words, it looks good, uh, make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. It's kind of like uh, what they do is they make things look pretty and shiny, uh, and it all has the facade, it all has the image of, wow, true Christianity, but then it's kind of like buying something, you know, you think, wow, that's a chrome, you know, on that vehicle, it's beautiful, it's all chrome, and then you get up to it and you're like, it's plastic, right? It's, it's not real. And uh, Jeroboam's religion would incorporate some elements of the law of Moses because it was convenient. So he doesn't just outright dismiss the things of God. No, he, he blends them. And we have a lot of that, the syncretism today. We try to take elements of Christianity, blend them in with elements of spiritism or other things, and then call that still Christianity. Or think that I can still serve God with holiness. And you can't. And uh, so his system, what is today is called eclectic, or I would say syncretism, but it was selective, picking and choosing. And that is exactly what the false prophets of 2 Peter 2 are doing. So the, prophets, uh, the prophet Isaiah, he confronts uh, the new religions in his day. Isaiah would cry out against them. He said in Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And I've had some conversations with some individuals, and they've talked about some of the churches in town, all these preachers leaving. And, uh, you know, one of the preachers in town was trying to bring in, you know, smudging into the services, completely pagan. How ungodly. And what it does is it shows the true colors of these, quote-unquote, ministers, uh, and how false that they are. Another one would go on to say with respect to communion, he just said it doesn't matter what you take, chips or crackers or anything else, uh, don't get religious on me, he says. I mean, this is one of the charismatic preachers here in town. Complete blasphemy. I mean, it just, it's unbiblical. So what is Jeroboam doing? Jeroboam is creating something that is comfortable, convenient, and not costly. You find that Jesus Christ in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, talks about our bodies as a living sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed for us. What part of following Christ should not be a sacrifice? Is there anything too great that Christ is, I mean, we, Christ gave his life for us. Is there anything not too great that we can do for him? So he acts in, contra, in contradiction of Scripture, the will of God. In John chapter 4, verse 22, ye know 
You worship you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. This is the, the woman of Samaria saying this. But the fact is, and I preached on this a couple weeks ago, there on our friend day at the end of October, but this woman, she, she, she did not know the God of the Bible. She knew about him, but she didn't know him. A lot of people in society, they think, they call him the big man upstairs or all this other stuff, but that's not God's name. He's not the big man. He's not some mysterious entity. He is God. We know him in the Bible as Lord or Jehovah, and in the New Testament as Jesus. But he, what he's doing in this statement here, when Christ makes this statement, he instantly wipes out every other religion and affirms that salvation is only in Jesus, in himself, and only from the Jews. So Jesus was a Jew, and the Christian faith was born out of the Jewish religion that they had uh, apostatized because they had made it all about the works and all about the rules and not about the God of the rules, right? All those rules were to continue to point them back to God, to put their faith in him. And Israel was to be God's light to the pagan nations. Now, in 1 Kings uh, chapter 13, look with me here at verses 1 and 2. 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar in, in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, behold, a child shall be born into the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burned upon thee. Shall give a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. This man of God comes to Jeroboam and he says, Listen, you're not obeying. The young prophet's ministry is important in the account for all that he says and experienced, including his death, uh, is God's warning to Jeroboam. Verse 33 the king didn't turn his, he turned his back to God as we think about this. And so, uh, in looking at all of these truths, uh, look at this, verse 33 of chapter 13. After this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, uh, but made again of the lowest of the people priests of the high places, whosoever uh, would, he consecrated him, and became one of the priests of the high places. He doesn't turn his heart. He doesn't turn from the evil way. God is trying to tell him, you know what God, one of the wonderful things about God is that God always gives a message of warning. Before we're about to embark on a dangerous and foolish path, God will bring up warnings in our life, every time. I I know it in my own life, and I'm sure many can attest to that otherwise, in the same way, I guess. In Amos chapter 7, verses 10 through 12, uh, this man of God... Not, not Amos, but this man of God here in chapter 13, he meets Jeroboam at the shrine in Bethel, which would again, eventually become the king's uh, sanctuary. In chapter 7 of Amos, verses 10 through 12, then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee. In the midst of the house of Israel, the land is not able to bear all his words. For thus, saith, for thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go, flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread and prophesy there. The truth is, when we devise our own religion, as Jeroboam did, you can do whatever you want. 
You can choose to be a priest. You can choose to be a king. You, if you make the form of godliness your own way, you can choose what you want. But you can't choose the consequences. And Jeremiah and Ezekiel were priests. They were called to be prophets. But the Mosaic law, Moses' law, the commandments that God gave to Israel did not permit kings to serve as priests. 2 Chronicles 26. Now Jesus Christ is the only king and priest. And all who believe in him are kings and priests. Revelation 1.6. A royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2.9. Now Jeroboam's priesthood, it was spontaneous and it was rejected by God. Why does God make it uh, in the comments, you know, in the scriptures here, the divine word of God, why does it say of the lowest sort? Because he, in chapter 12, why does he do that? Because God is saying these men are not men that I've appointed. They don't meet the qualifications to be a man in the ministry. There is specifics that God has for people in certain positions within his worship. They go out of that. God is specific. I know on Wednesday nights we've been going through a series on uh, uh, pastors and the qualifications for pastors and what that entails. There's a kind of a series looking at that and uh, a good series that uh, taking a lot of the notes from uh, Brother Sargent, uh, Baptist uh, rule in a, or elder rule in a Baptist church, just talking about pastors and those sorts of things. But as we think about that, God does have specifics upon pastors today. God had specifics on uh, back then. I mean, I, uh, several months ago, I uh, preached a series in dealing with commandments of God. God was so specific on how big the tabernacle was, what material it was to be made, even all the joints and every part of the tabernacle God was specific on. How to enter it, all the cleansing, all the clothing, all the mindset, all the... I mean, just the placement of all the items in the tabernacle, then later in the temple, it all speaks about our approach to God. The first thing you do when you enter into the temple yard or the tabernacle was the altar. You needed a sacrifice. There's no forgiveness of sins, no remission of sins without sacrifice. The next there is the laver where you wash your hands, right? There's a cleansing before we come to God. We need to make ourselves clean and pure before entering into the presence of God. So there's a sacrifice, then there's the cleansing. God was exactly... I mean, God was so specific about all of this. He's still specific about worship today. It is not allowing, does not allow us to bring ourselves haphazardly to him. And so the prophet spoke to the altar, not to the king, as though God no longer wanted to address Jeroboam. Uh, This was a man so filled with himself. Jeroboam was all about himself and all about power. And because of his evil ways, that Israel, the kingdom of Israel, would be polluted. In the year 722 B.C., the Assyrians would capture Israel and the ten northern tribes, and they were moved off the scene. These ten northern tribes would be, then Judah was rebuked, saying, hey, your sister, she's been taken captive, you better get your act straight, you better repent, or the same thing's going to happen to you. And they didn't listen very well. Now, David's dynasty would continue until the reign of Zedekiah which was 597 to 586 B.C., so quite some time after. But nevertheless, uh, I mean, Jeroboam, from the time of Jeroboam and all of this departure from godliness, uh, there was just wicked king after wicked king after wicked king in Israel. All of them were wicked. Now, the prophet's message here uh, looks ahead 300 years to the reign of the godly king Josiah, who would root out the idolatry out of the land. 2 Kings chapter 23, look with me here. 
including the shrine at Bethel, which you would find the shrine here in Bethel in 2 Kings 23. Second <clears throat> uh, Kings chapter 23, verse 15. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place with Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, had made both that altar and the high place. He broke down and burned the high place and stamped it small to powder and burned the grove. And as Josiah turned himself, he spied the sepulchers that were there in the mount and sent and took the bones out of the sepulchers and burned them upon the altar and polluted it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. Josiah desecrated these altars by burning human bones on it, and then he tore them down. I mean, he burns them to powder. He says, I don't want any remnants of this left. And this prophecy was fulfilled just as it was announced. It was a sure prophet, and you can find that there in Isaiah 44 and 45. Now look at, look at some of the miracles here in 1 Kings chapter 13, uh, verses 4 through 6. And it came to pass when King uh, Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him, and his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up, so that he could not pull it in again to him. The altar also was rent, the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the rain, the, excuse me, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God, and pray for me. That my hand may be restored me again. And the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him again and became as it was before. What does Jeroboam do? Jeroboam says, <laughs> I don't want to listen to this message. Get away from me. Stop talking to me about God. Stop giving me the truth. I don't want it. By the way, I'm the king. You're just some piddly little messenger. Get out of here, and I'm going to put my hand on you, and I'm going to hurt you. God said, no, you're not. I mean, he, he was infuriated. He was humiliated. He's the king. He's a priest. How dare you talk to me like that? Ever met someone like that? And so God authenticates this man's message as Jeroboam seeks to injure him and his hand dries up. Pretty amazing. I want you to look with me at Hebrews chapter 2, the message. We'll come back here to 1 Kings 13, but Hebrews chapter 2, definitely not making a lot of progress uh, today on this, but It is absolutely imperative for us as believers, when God says something, God means it. Now, many times, and I know for myself even, uh, that God says something, and I remember I was in Bible college, and uh, one of the faculty there, he said, Chris, you have a problem. So I got a problem. He said, yeah. He said, if you don't understand Scripture then you put your views over Scripture just because you don't understand it. He said, what you need to do is say, I don't understand it, but the Bible is still what it says. Now, my goal is to understand what it does say so I can comply. It's not to say, well, I don't understand it, so I'm going to discount it and ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is not bliss. Especially if you've given a command, you don't quite understand it, but you have some idea about what it is. Ignorance is not bliss. 
there's a lot of ignorant people that are headed towards hell. Ignorance isn't bliss. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. You cannot neglect the message. The message is important. The message is of eternal value. But in spite of his stubborn pride and willful disobedience, Going back to 1 Kings 13, God heals Jeroboam, knowing full well Jeroboam's heart would not fully turn back to the Lord. You know, it was much like in Exodus with Pharaoh. You know, he'd say, Pharaoh would say to Moses, please pray to your God and take one of these plagues away. Take the frogs away. And then your people can go sacrifice to the Lord. No sooner were the plagues removed than Pharaoh implemented harsher measures. How about Acts chapter 8, verse 24, from which we get the word simony, but then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come unto me, uh, come unto the come unto me, come upon me, excuse me. Simon. He was saved, baptized, made a profession of faith. He got baptized, and then he sees Peter doing all these miracles. He says, Peter, I'll give you some money. Give me the same power that you have. And Peter quite <laughs> sternly deals with him. You can't purchase the power of God. And this idea of simony is trying to purchase power, and it's too bad that this king here Jeroboam is more concerned with his physical condition than he is his spiritual condition. He didn't deal with the soul. He had witnessed a miracle of God locking up his hand. He can't even touch this man of God. He can't touch this young prophet. He can't touch him because God restrains him. What that also lets us know is that today, if we're doing God's will, no one can touch us more than what God allows. Now, miracles don't bring Conviction or produce saving faith. Just because you can see God work doesn't mean you're a Christian. I had one guy, one time I was there in North Carolina, and uh, the vehicle that I was riding in with a friend, it was uh, ended up having some problems, and it, we had to get it towed. And I was meeting with the tow truck driver, and I was talking about the Lord. And he said, you know what? I, I said, how do you know you're saved? He said, well, one time I, I was driving by this graveyard, and I, I saw this bright light. I saw this angel. So because he had this image of an angel in a cemetery, interesting place to find one anyways, um, he said, I know I'm a believer because I saw an angel. Well, what kind of foolishness is that? That's an experiential. Miracles aren't necessary for evangelism. John chapter 10, verse 40. Look with me here. John chapter 10, we'll come back here. Uh, First Kings, I may have to actually end before that for due to time uh, this morning. But in John chapter 10, verse 40, and then we'll go to John chapter 2. But in John chapter 40, I want you to notice how many miracles John did. 
Let's look at verse 40 of John chapter 10. And verse 39, therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand, Jesus did, and went away again beyond Jordan to the place where John at first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, John the Baptist. But all things that John spake of this man were true, and many believed on him there. John the Baptist didn't do any miracles. So there's still unsaved. They were believers, but they were unsaved. They believed what John said, but they did not put their faith in Christ. Look with me at John chapter 2. It is amazing today how many people are trying to make church convenient, to fit their schedule. Uh, The problem with that is it's not about me. Church is about God in Christ. Now there is a there's an edification faction that happens within the church uh, if you study what God says about church. But nevertheless, it is ultimately about God. John chapter 2, verse 23, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. They see the miracles. They believe in him. Jesus, what an amazing man. These are the same people that would say, crucify him. They see the miracles. Wow, he can do amazing things. You know what? There's people today that can do miracles. Doesn't mean they're of God. It means Satan can work too. Satan has the ability to do things. Just because supernatural things occur does not necessitate that it's God. Now Satan, right, comes as an angel of light. So he likes to do these things. You know, I have these dreams and visions and all these sorts of things that people talk about. But again, Satan can still influence people. We try to think it's always God. Or then when bad things happen, well, God abandoned me. No, you abandoned God. So we'll come to next time, we'll talk about the maneuver that uh, Jeremiah was a clever man. And uh, actually, I'll talk about this. Let's look at, uh, going back to 1 Kings 13, a few more minutes here. 1 Kings chapter 13, let's look at verses 7 through 10. Now, verse 7, 1 Kings 13. And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. And the man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so was it charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread nor drink water nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So Jeremiah is a clever man. He tries to trap this man by inviting him to his palace. What does Satan try to do? He tries to devour us. When that fails, he tries to deceive us. In 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. If you go back to the story of David and Goliath, right? The infamous battle. Little David, big Goliath, right? Goliath says... If your people send a man to me, and if they defeat me, then we will serve you. If we defeat you, you will serve us. David defeated Goliath. What did the Philistines do? They ran for their lives. They didn't serve the Israelites. That was a lie. It was a complete lie. Satan was deceptive. Now, you better believe it. If Goliath had killed David, that the Israelites would have served the Philistines. So it's always under Satan's rules. 
In 2 Corinthians 11.3, But I fear, lest by any means, as a serpent beguiled or deceived Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. How many weird, awkward ideas out there uh, are there on YouTube or on Internet, World Wide Web? There's, I mean, there's thousands of different, crazy, apostate, heretical ideas about what's going to happen. I mean, you name it, it's probably out there. There's some whacked out stuff out there if you look online. So the king, first of all, says, lay hold of him. I'm going to kill him. Then when he can't do that, he says, come home with me. And the young man, he says, God told me I can't. Had he eaten with the king, that one simple act, one meal, would have wiped out his effectiveness of his witness and his ministry. One meal. I was thinking about that. Should someone see me here in town walk into a bar and have a glass, and may I put apple juice in it, but you think it's beer, your ideas would change drastically about me. One drink in one bad establishment, one time. It would ruin a witness. One time, it is so imperative that we follow what God has said to maintain and effectiveness a witness. Sharing a meal is a sign of friendship and endorsement. This man of God eats with Jeroboam and he's saying, you know what, I'm, endo- I'm endorsing Jeroboam's kingdom. If I was to preach in any other church in this community... For the congregation, I've done funerals in other buildings, but there's been no stipulation. But if I was to preach for a congregation, for a service, I'm endorsing that church and all of their views, their doctrines, even if I agree with them or not. So the prophet doesn't want to be a friend with such an evil man or give others the idea that Jeroboam's reign is acceptable. Proverbs 25, 26, A righteous man falling down before the wicked is as a troubled fountain fountain and a corrupt spring. A compromising servant of God muddies the waters and confuses the saints. So the prophet refuses the friendship, the food, and the gifts. He says, no thanks. God told me no. So in Daniel chapter 5, verse 17, as I draw this to a close, like Daniel, this man says, Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. And yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. This is where there's the writing on the wall. But Daniel, you know, and then eventually, you know, I don't want your gifts. I will tell you what's on that wall, but I don't want your gifts. I don't want to muddy the waters. I don't want to lessen what God has told me. God gave specific commands where worship was to occur in Jerusalem. Jeroboam doesn't want the hearts of the people to go back. Jeroboam wants the power. Why in the world would someone ever change the worship of God? Because they are an idol unto themselves, and they want God to fit to their little box. You don't change it. You don't touch it. Church is the way God set. Ministry is the way God set. Our lives are the way God set. And, uh, you know, if we love God, we'll follow him. We'll trust him. We'll be committed. We cannot change what God has said. And you're going to read about this man of God. He would have another man of God, an older man. It's kind of like if I was younger and if I had an older preacher said, hey, I want you to do this. 
Well, it's not really what I would see. Well, you know, okay, that guy's older. He knows what he's doing. But if God tells me otherwise, then I need to do what God tells me and not what some older preacher tells me. This young man of God listens to the older man of God, and you'll find out uh, here next week, or not next week, a few weeks from here and uh, in December, but you'll find out this man would be killed because he listened to an old preacher. doesn't matter what an old preacher says, it matters what God says. And so that's the truth here, but nevertheless, Jeroboam is a new king, but an old sin. I'm doing it my way. Whenever we do it our way and not God's way, it's always more painful. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we yield today to Thee. We thank You and we praise You. What an amazing Savior You are. Father, I pray that You'd help us to be found faithful. Uh, help us to keep our hearts right before You. I thank You for Your grace. I thank You for Your mercy. And Lord, I just pray for all of us, Lord. That God, I would just listen to what You have to say and be obedient. Not being ignorant knowledgeable, and obedient. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you.